Thanks for that worship and music. It's encouraging. And today we are looking at John chapter 3. Last uh, week, Aaron got us started on this uh, series we're doing on uh, surprising encounters with Jesus. When we meet the Lord, we see this in various people in the Gospels, who come in contact with Jesus, they are often surprised by his actions, uh, surprised by his words, and we want, to, uh, we want to look at those things and try to recapture some of that surprise for ourselves, right? So we're looking at John chapter 3. Uh, met a few new people coming in this morning. Uh, we're glad to have you with us. And uh, just wanted to say that if you are so inclined, following this service, we get together downstairs and drink some coffee and we have some classes there for adults. So we'd be very delighted if you'd choose to stay and uh, uh, have a chance to meet you further in that hour. All right, so John chapter 3, I'm going to call it an insider's surprise. Here's the story. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And there's the surprise, right? He is surprised at what's being said to him. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Uh, one of the uh, little challenges of interpreting the Gospels is that uh, in the original language, they didn't have quotation marks, right? So when you read John chapter 3, it's not clear 
where the words of Jesus leave off and where the comments of the Apostle John begin as he reflects on this incident. So I'm following. I think it's, it's a good decision. If you have one of those red-letter Bibles, you see that the words of Jesus in red end at verse 15. So the verse we sang, John 3.16, that many of us have memorized, begins John's comments on what has taken place. So we're just looking at the words of uh, Jesus this morning. So Nicodemus comes by night. Uh, He gets criticized by some people for that. Uh, We won't criticize him. Uh, We don't know just why he came at night. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen. Maybe he wanted a time that was more open, less free from the crowds. We don't know. But he comes to Jesus, and we need to think about this guy. He's what I would call the quintessential leader. It's a great word, isn't it? Quintessential. It means, uh, but it means he's the, he's kind of the ultimate uh, insider. We hear about uh, different insider behaviors. Uh, For example, insider training, uh, trading. Uh, Insider trading is when people are in a position to know certain things that the general public doesn't, and they use that to their advantage. They know a stock split is going to happen or something, and they take advantage of that. Uh, Insiders are people in the know. They have certain advantages, and uh, this is Nicodemus. He is uh, the insider's insider, if you will. And we need to think about him. What makes him that? Well, first off, he is a Jew. And Jews are the chosen people, going back to Father Abraham, whom God chose out of a life in Babylon and said, come and follow me, I'll take you to a new land, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the whole world. And Abraham does that. And then it's Abraham's descendants who, through the line of Jacob, become the chosen people. God redeems them out of slavery in Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai, establishes this covenant with them, and the covenant says, you are a chosen people. That's, that's insider status. I mean, there's... There's extraordinary blessings in that for people to come to know God and understand who he is. Nicodemus is a Jew. But he's not just any Jew. He he is, again, this person with special status. He is an influential Pharisee. Some of you I know have been watching the television series The Chosen, it's, uh, it's worth watching, I think. There's some good stuff in there. And one of the most interesting parts of it <clears throat> in the first season is the portrayal of Nicodemus. He's the guy on the left. 
uh, on the right. <laughs> I thought, I'm not going to get turned around because I'm looking the other direction. I got turned around. <laughs> yeah, he, he's portrayed in a way that I think is, is a little bit speculative, but probably on track. Nicodemus, John tells us, was a Pharisee. And if you're thinking of insider status, that's, that's certainly part of it, a big part of it. The Pharisees took their beginnings probably about two centuries before Jesus showed up on the scene. They were a, a small group, uh, but highly influential. And, and part of their influence grew out of their zeal to be faithful to God in a time of spiritual declension. It was a period of time when uh, there was tremendous influence from the, the Greek empire of Alexander the Great. Uh, lots of people wanted to be Greek. I mean, that was, the, that was the culture of the day, but that culture brought with it many things that were detrimental to the true worship of the Lord. And the Pharisees stood against that. Their name even seems to derive from a Hebrew word that means separated. And they wanted to be distinct. They wanted to maintain the traditions and the faith of Israel. So that's, that's the group that's this insider belongs to. And then there's an additional point that Jesus makes when he's talking to him, and he says, you are the teacher of Israel. Now, we're not entirely sure what that means, uh, whether he had a particular unique status. The, the Chosen series suggests that, if you've watched it. But it, it does point to the fact that these Pharisees who, who gave so much time to the study of God's Word and the maintenance of a true and genuine faith, this guy stood out. So he is the insider. And as an insider, he, uh, I, I'm pretty sure from the story here, that Nicodemus lived with the insider's assumption. Let's call it that. The insider assumption is that I'm on the right track. I'm headed in the right direction. My life is basically ordered in a way that is good and pleasing to God. And when I say an insider, I'm talking especially about a religious insider, right? And that's relevant for us because most of us are insiders in that sense. I mean, in a secular culture, people who come to church on Sunday morning rather than playing golf, they're insiders, for sure. So we need to be alert to this. Nicodemus comes with the insider assumption. That is that what he is doing, not only as a Jew, but as a Pharisee, 
devoting his life to the study of the Word of God, and with that then, looking for the promises that the prophets gave of a coming day when God would establish his kingdom, when the Messiah would return. The assumption of Nicodemus is, I'm on the right track. Now, uh, to be fair to Nicodemus, I think he had that insider assumption, like, like many of us do, right? We're on basically the right track. But he, but he also had some kind of question nagging there. And that, that's why he comes to Jesus. And there's an implied question. It says, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because we see the signs that you're doing. Now, later on, the Pharisees as a group will reject that reasoning, right? What they'll do is they'll actually argue that the signs of Jesus are done by the power of Satan. Nicodemus isn't there. And as far as we can tell about him, he never goes in that direction. He sees the signs and draws the conclusion. This is a teacher come from God. And so he comes acknowledging that to Jesus. And in that acknowledgement, I think, there's an implied question. And the question is something like this. Jesus, you're a teacher come from God. I'm an insider on basically the right track, but... Is there anything I need to hear or do to tweak my journey? I think it's something like that. It's an honest question. He's open to hear from Jesus, but still with the assumption that he's on the right track. As long as he maintains that assumption... He will not be able to hear what Jesus says to him. And I think that's worth reflecting on. For those many of us who are insiders, we've grown up with the faith and we live very easily with the, the assumption that if Jesus were to say anything to us, that basically he'd tell us we're on the right track. And maybe that's not what he wants to say. Maybe, maybe we need to be surprised by Jesus. But the insider assumption will keep you from being surprised. So, that's Nicodemus. He is the quintessential insider. But he comes to Jesus really looking for a divine evaluation. This is his strength. This, this is what eventually leads Nicodemus to become a disciple and a follower of, of the Lord. We know you're a teacher come from God. Can can you help me sort this out? What needs to happen in my life? Can you give me some ideas, some techniques, some tweaks 
to guide my journey. And Jesus, as he does in a number of places, uh, apparently speaks a, a non sequitur. He speaks something that doesn't seem to follow from the con- conversation. Just out of the blue, apparently, he says, well, uh, you need to be born again. Everybody needs to be born again. Nicodemus says, what? What kind of an evaluation is this? Well, let's, let's think about it. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, or the, the Greek word there is ambiguous. It can mean again, or it can mean, it can mean from above. But you need a new birth. And uh, Nicodemus doesn't get that. Or he, he plays a little bit obtuse, perhaps. He says, well, you can't, you know, you can't really do it over again. You can't go back into your mother's womb. Uh, because this has come to us as a surprise to him. So what's the background of this? Well, the background is the Jewish Old Testament expectation of a coming kingdom. The understanding is that we live in a present age which is marked by sin and by evil and by tragedy and distress. But the prophets... Look ahead to a day when that is going to change, when we enter into a new age, an age when all things are made new. Isaiah the prophet says that, or the Lord says through Isaiah, behold, I make everything new. That would take place in their understanding when the Messiah came, the descendant of David who would put things right. And one way to think about it, you can think about it as a new creation, that's the way some of the prophets do, but you can also think about that as the whole world being reborn. Jesus talks about it that way in Matthew 26, when he says to his disciples, in the regeneration, in the the new birth, I will sit upon my throne of glory and you will sit upon thrones yourself judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In the new birth. And he's talking about the whole cosmos being changed and transformed. That's the background of Jesus' evaluation. It's this kingdom expectation of a new age. And the Jewish assumption generally was because they were insiders, that when the Messiah came and the new age appeared and those who were already dead would be raised up, the righteous and the unrighteous alike, and they would be judged by the Messiah and the righteous would enter into the kingdom. The Jewish assumption was that if you were a Jew, you were in. Unless you had apostatized and denied the faith, but if you were just a Jew doing your ordinary stuff and doing temple and keeping the basic commandments, you were in at the new birth of the new world. But Jesus says, uh, 
Nicodemus, here's, here's what you need to understand. This age and the age to come are not just quantitatively different. You know, the new age isn't just a little bit better. It's qualitatively different, so much so that Jesus can say, realm one, the old world, that's the world of flesh. And, and by flesh here, I think he means not this stuff. He means flesh as mere human life and human exertion, the best, the best even that we can do as human beings in this fallen, sin-corrupted world. That's flesh. And in realm one, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Natural human birth replicates all the same problems. But God's new world, the age of the Messiah, the kingdom, that's a, that's a qualitatively different realm. And, and you need to understand, he says, that it's only God's spirit that can qualify us to live in that spirit realm. Again, it's not saying we don't have bodies in, in the future. Resurrection is about bodies being restored and resuscitated, right? But spirit is that realm that is marked particularly by the activity of God's spirit. And so flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. And so Jesus can say, Nicodemus, you need to understand that being a religious insider is a blessing in many respects. You know, growing up in a Christian home is a blessing in many respects. Growing up in the church, blessing in many respects. But it is not sufficient or adequate any more than all of Nicodemus's background was not adequate. Don't be surprised, says Jesus. Why are you surprised when I tell you that you've got to be born from above? You need the intervention of God in a supernatural way in your life because your insider status won't get you where you want to go. See, the kingdom doesn't recognize insider credentials. You, you can come to that last judgment and appear before God's Messiah and say, well, here's my track record. I, I was really a pretty good person. Lord, you can ask my neighbors. I mean, I mowed people's lawns for free when they were not there. And I was as honest as the day is long. I paid all the taxes that were due. I even paid some that weren't due. That's how honest I was. There's a lot of good stuff. And I, I went to church and I recited the creeds and I believed the Bible and I did all that stuff. 
But Jesus is saying, those credentials won't help you on that day. Another uh, famous disciple of Jesus some years later, who got just as shocked as Nicodemus, maybe even more so, was the Apostle Paul. You probably know some of his story. He was surprised as could be when he actually met Jesus. But here's what he says about that, looking back. I once thought these things were valuable. All the insider stuff, this is Philippians 3, you can read what he says, the verses that go before. I thought these insider credentials were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Well, then part of the the question, part of uh, the surprise even for us is then Jesus saying that Nicodemus should have known all this. And Let's just attend to that for a minute here as we wrap up. What should Nicodemus have known already before Jesus told him this? I tell you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, that, that has been a discussion point for ages. <laughs> what, what is Jesus referring there to? And the best argument that I've seen is that Jesus is alluding to the prophet Ezekiel. Prophet Ezekiel was the prophet of the exile. When the people of Israel sinned, followed after other gods, the Lord warned them, and eventually he said, warning time has passed, you've got to leave my land. The temple is destroyed The land is devastated, and thousands of people are carried off in exile to Babylon. But the Lord still wants them to understand what is happening to them, so he sends a prophet, and the prophet is Ezekiel. And uh, Ezekiel brings words of judgment, but he also brings words of hope. As he looks ahead and says, you know, God isn't finished with the nation. In fact, one day he's going to bring them back again, and, and here's what he's Here's what's going to happen. Ezekiel 36, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then in the next chapter, he swings right into that that beautiful vision of the valley of dry bones where there's these skeletons laying all over. And uh, the Lord says, prophesy to these bones. So he begins to prophesy. The Lord says, call upon the wind to come and blow on these bones. And when that happens, they start to rattle and shake and come together. And flesh begins to grow on them. And they stand up. And the Lord says, come and call the Spirit, the wind, the breath of God, and and to fill these bodies. And and that happens. 
and they begin to live. And Ezekiel, the Lord says through Ezekiel, now this is what's going to happen to Israel. I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to revive my people. I'm going to give them new life. So here in a very compressed section of Scripture, you have God saying, I'm going to sprinkle water on my people to cleanse them from their sins, and I'm going to give them my spirit to bring life back into their deadness, and they will live. So I think a good case can be made that when Nicodemus says, you're, or when the Lord says, Nicodemus, you are the ruler of Israel, don't you know this stuff? That he's pointing to this text. One of the few places in the Old Testament where water and spirit come together. See, what he's saying is that even insiders need cleansing and they need renewal. Even insiders. Insiders like you and me. And then right away he goes on to say a second thing. And he doesn't leave us guessing as to what text he's thinking about. He quotes from the old uh, stories in the book of Numbers about Israel's journey through the wilderness and about how they complained to the Lord or against the Lord and against Moses for their circumstances. And the Lord in judgment sent fiery serpents, venomous snakes among them. And people were getting bitten and dying. And they cry out in their distress to Moses and say, do something. And the Lord says to Moses, what I want you to do is put to make an image of a snake out of bronze and then hang it on a pole and put it in the midst of the camp and anyone who's bitten and in, in danger of dying from the venom can look at that snake and they'll be healed. So Jesus alludes to this story with Nicodemus and says, uh, you know, Nicodemus, the way Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, in the same way the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, that whoever looks to him and believes in him will be saved. And following that comes the, uh, the verse that we sang, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus at this point, I don't think could comprehend that because the reality of the lifting up of the Son of Man, which points to Jesus' death on the cross, and his resurrection, that's still a couple years down the road. So what is Jesus doing? I, I think he's leaving Nicodemus with some things to think about. That insider status won't cut it in the day of judgment. It will not fit you for life in the kingdom of God. That what you and I need, every last one of us, we need a supernatural action of God's Spirit 
to bring life in the midst of death. We need to look to the Son of God and His death and resurrection and believe in Him that we might have life. So what about Nicodemus? He's got a lot to think about. He's been surprised by what he's heard. What does he do with it? Well, apparently he continues to chew it over and gradually comes to a place of faith in Jesus. So that what we find at the end of John is this. Following the death of Jesus, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Notice, he was afraid, but he did what none of the 12 disciples were willing to do. They were all in hiding. Joseph of Arimathea comes out of hiding, claims the body of Jesus, but now notice, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus becomes a believer and a disciple because he gradually recognizes that being an insider doesn't get you into the kingdom, doesn't prepare you for the new age of God's salvation, for the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> so what about you? What about me? Are we living off of insider assumptions? Or are we open to meeting Jesus with all his surprising and sometimes disturbing evaluations of who we are. If so, then we're on the road to discipleship. Right? Then we're actually learning from him, not just assuming that we basically already know what we need to know. And that's the challenge before us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the truth that you spoke, not just to Nicodemus, but that you always spoke to all those who came to you. Lord, we come to you as your people, and if we're honest, we want to hear from you, but in another sense, we're not sure that we do want to hear from you. We prefer comfort. We'd prefer that you affirm our assumptions as insiders, that, that you're already satisfied with us. Lord, uh, will you help us to get past that so that we can really hear your teaching, your instruction, that we might be more and more each day, people who are being fitted for life in your glorious kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.